you know, I realize now how little I knew at the start and almost think that's probably a good thing because I think if I knew everything now, then I would never have started at all because it would have just terrified the life out of me. Hello and welcome to the Fifth Wave podcast. I'm Jeffrey Young, Editor-in-Chief of coffee business magazine, Fifth Wave. And today we're having a conversation with David Abramovich, founder of London specialty coffee chain, Grind. Grind employs around 300 staff across almost a dozen locations. David started his career in tech, but soon switched to coffee after he inherited the lease to a small circular building on the edge of a busy East London roundabout. David is an example of an operator who has used technology to successfully scale his cafe chain to over 10 locations. He speaks so eloquently as he offers exceptional insights into how to run a profitable cafe chain. Only a handful of these insights made it into the back of house technology episode a few weeks ago, which is why we're offering you the full conversation with David here. So grab yourself a coffee, sit back and enjoy this great conversation with David Abramovich. David, thanks, for, you know, thanks so much for coming along today. Pleasure. Um, Thank you for having me. I'd really love to give our audience a little listen and understanding of, you know, your background as an entrepreneur. Yeah, so uh, the coffee world was never something that I intended to enter. I think like so many other people, I kind of fell into it. I had a tech business, which I founded out of university. And I was very focused on on growing that with the team there. And we raised we raised money and we were very much focused on that. But Kind of in parallel, you know, some some unfortunate circumstances led to me in inheriting the family mobile phone business, which was by that point a single store retail unit on Old Street Roundabout. And for those who are not familiar with London, that's kind of our version of Silicon Valley. You know, it's dubbed Silicon Roundabout. It's in East London and it's where the tech scene really started to explode in kind of, you know, the 2008 onwards. So very fast up and coming area of East London. And, and we had this small building that was being used as a, as a mobile phone retail store. And, you know, I'd worked in there as a 12 year old and a 13 year old during the summer, selling mobile phone cases to people as they came in. I was very attached to the building. It was a perfectly circular little two story building right on the edge of the roundabout. It'd been my dad's place and it had a lot of sentimental value to me. So. I knew that I wanted to keep the building in some way or another. There was never a question of, we're not going to have this building in my family anymore. Even though we didn't own it, we had a very long lease. But it was clear that mobile phone retail was not the future. You know, and by this point, everyone just wanted an iPhone. You know, this is 2010, and you could see that that was becoming a commodity. But the area was really changing. And I moved there recently, you know, to Shoreditch, which is next to Old Street. And for some reason or another that is still to this day not entirely clear to me, I decided that the best use for this building would be a coffee shop, a little bit like the ones I'd seen traveling around the world, but didn't really seem to be in London at that point. Or if they were, they were kind of quite tucked away, didn't have a sign, not necessarily that professionalized at that point. You know, it was very early days of of the third wave. So yeah, decided to turn it into a kind of a cool coffee shop and we put a cinema sign on the front, which has become a little bit of a landmark and put a neon sign up and found the best baristas and machines we could. And that was the beginnings. I remember the first time I saw that building and so, you know, sex, drugs and rock and roll up there. Sex, and, coffee and rock and roll. Oh, sex, coffee and rock and roll. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We swapped <laughs> uh, out the drugs. No, absolutely. What a location. Fascinating, you know, with your sort of tech background as well. So who better to talk about 
you know, the sort of the opportunities that technology has for coffee operators than, than yourself. Can you tell us the you know, audience a little bit about Grind? That first store was in 2011. We evolved to be selling coffee during the day and cocktails at night. And then we introduced uh, a brunch menu and started doing more food. And, you know, over the years, through several rounds of crowdfunding and other other investment, we've grown to the point where, you know, pre-COVID at least, we were 11 stores, you know, kind of 300 staff, all day, all night, breakfast, lunch, dinner, coffee and cocktails, plus a recording studio, plus a coffee roastery, and Grind at Home, our now fast-growing online business as well. So, you know, we like to think that it's developed into a little bit of a kind of coffee lifestyle brand. And, you know, we have a a big Instagram following and a big brand footprint. So, yeah, so that's that's where we are today. Great. Well, worthwhile sort of asking you the question of the hour is, you know, what impact has COVID had on, on Grind? Yeah, I mean, you know, COVID has been pretty challenging for everyone in almost all businesses. Obviously, we were closed for many months, which was, you know, to see something that you've built kind of store by store, piece by piece, brick by brick almost, over a period of nearly 10 years, to close it all down in an afternoon uh, was heartbreaking. You know, it was horrible. And these sites are such an important part of my life and millions of customers a year come through our doors. So certainly hundreds of thousands anyway. So, you know, they're such an important part of the local ecosystem, wherever they might be. And, you know, people really missed them being open and I really missed going to them. You know, I'd, I'd been to them almost every day if I was in the country for as long as I can remember. So, yeah, it was horrible. Obviously, the government support schemes have have been amazing at first, at least. You know, I think they're coming to an end now and more is badly needed. But at least for the first six months, you know, between the furlough scheme, between our landlords, who fortunately were very supportive, you know, we've been able to make the best of it and we are... You know, we have most of our stores reopened now. Clearly, takings are much lower than they were before this. Footfall is much lower. We permanently close one store. But we'll be okay. We'll survive. And fortunately, we have other parts of the business that have, you know, dramatically improved as a result of COVID. Primarily, our online delivery business to the home. So this this is delivering coffee and Nespresso-compatible uh, pods, not, not delivery or anything like that. So this is direct-to-consumer coffee coffee retail, basically. So fortunately, that part of the business has grown massively, which has helped offset at least a little bit what we've lost on the high street. You're a business that obviously began in 2010 and and 10 years later scaled quite rapidly. So presumably you've had to, you've had to put a lot lot of infrastructure into your business. I mean, you certainly, you know, Grind definitely looks like, you know, one of those businesses that's very well organized, you know, very well run. Thinking of that infrastructure that you've put into your business, you know, what role has tech played? It's been really important. And I think I was keen from the beginning to introduce as much tech as possible. So, you know, when we had the first store in, in 2011, you know, a few months in, you know, I kept the other business going for a few years afterwards. So I wasn't reliant on the first store to kind of to eat and to live and to pay the mortgage. So, you know, we reinvested everything. So even in that first store, I kind of turned that into a bit of a blueprint where we you know, three months in, we changed the till system and we changed the bars and we changed all the equipment. And, you know, we started investing in a proper loyalty scheme that was bespoke for us. And we started investing in that stuff very, very early. And we've continued to invest in that stuff a lot over the years. And I've tried to put tech into place as much as possible because, you know, hospitality is a fundamentally really complex business with a high number of staff compared to the levels of revenue 
and just many points of potential failure. So whatever way you can use tech to control it and to give you insights and data as much as possible, you can help to simplify the operation and try and make it profitable and then make it more profitable, basically. You know, there's a huge number of moving parts in hospitality. So, you know, you use tech to try and stay on top of those key levers that are the difference between revenue and profit. As you grow and as you become 10 plus stores and hundreds of staff and thousands of individual, tens of thousands of individual pieces of product being served every day, you have to streamline that as much as possible from the supply chain to the actual production of the food and the drink, the invoicing and the payment systems that follow after it. You know, you have to get that stuff tight. And if you look at the the global success stories of the big chains and the McDonald's and the Burger Kings and the Domino's pizzas and the Starbucks, you know, they have these systems absolutely nailed down where there is no room for any kind of error or interpretation or any variance away from exactly what the product should be. And you have to have that mentality if you want to scale beyond a couple of stores. Yeah, fascinating. So you've taken inspiration from some of the big guys. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we strapped iPads to the coffee machines very early on to try and kind of make our own version of drive-through style technology. So, you know, we were amongst the first, I think, to ditch paper tickets and move to screens for the production of everything just because it's much faster, it's much more efficient. You can measure the time it takes to make everything. And, you know, basically it's about how can you put tech in to make the lives of the people who are working in the stores easier and improve the customer experience. If I understand it, very complex hospitality businesses need a number of systems. I mean, there doesn't appear to be an SAP system out there that can deal with the whole of hospitality. Could you share some of the systems that, or the array of systems that you're using in Grind to help better serve your customers and, and manage your staff? Yeah, sure. I mean, we use a huge number of systems now. And yeah, you're right. There is no one system to rule them all. I think a lot of people do. So, you know, we're using Revel for our till systems, which is integrated with many different platforms, including a bespoke app, which is a mobile ordering and payment app, which we developed ourselves. We're using other systems. You, you know, I think in a hospitality business, the most important kind of key things to measure are your revenue, what you're spending on stuff. So, you know, your cost of goods. So what are you spending on coffee beans and, and cups and avocados and whatever else you might have to buy? So, you know, we use a system called Katernet to manage that. So, you know, that contains all of our recipes, you know, and it says that a, the smashed avocado should have half an avocado in it and this much salt and this much bread and how much does that cost? And you use that system as well to purchase these things from your suppliers. So your suppliers are integrated with this. So ordering happens through that system, invoicing happens through that system, and that ensures that you're ordering the right amount of stuff and that you are paying based on what you ordered and that also what you sent is what you ordered because, you know, it's not always the case. You don't always get exactly what you order because things go wrong, right? And so you want to have checks in place to make sure you're not being charged for 10 avocados, but you only had nine delivered. And then labor is the other, you know, massive lever in this business, you know, depending on the model and if it's very takeaway focused or if it's more restaurant focused, you know, you're doing very well if you spend a number starting with a two on labor and you're probably about right if you're spending a number starting with a three. And if you're spending a number starting with a four, it's starting to go wrong in terms of, you know, 20 to 30 plus percent of your revenue going on labor. So 
we use a platform called Salima for managing that, which also manages payroll and deals with the complexities of things like Tronk, because, you know, in our sites, we have service charge, you know, that's part of our staff's remuneration. So that's important as well. So again, if you don't control your labor and you're not looking at how much do you spend per hour versus how much is your takings per hour, you got you need the right people in the right places at the right times. So that's very important. And then, yeah, just kind of rattling through them, I guess we use something called Trail App for kind of uh, compliancy, health, food, safety checks. We use something called reputation.com for looking at our online reputation and our review scores. We use Slack for communication with our general managers. Obviously, email. We use yeah, WhatsApp. We try and avoid WhatsApp because the nice thing about Slack is it's separated and people can mute it, right? Whereas WhatsApp, you feel a bit like you're invading people's personal times in terms of kind of work-life balance. Which of the kind of systems you think are like absolutely indispensable or or you're so glad that you sort of implemented that you might have kind of done without? Because I think in hospitality, sometimes people take the short-term approach. Yeah, absolutely. You've obviously had to invest. Yeah. And they're big investments. You, yeah. you know, getting these systems off the ground is normally, you know, initial spends in the tens of thousands and there's tens of thousands of ongoing costs. But I think it depends where you are as a business. Clearly you're not going to layer in all of this tech and all of this complexity for a single site that's got six staff. Like it just wouldn't, it just wouldn't make sense. And you could kind of do it on the back of an envelope. But if you want to have something that scales efficiently and you want to keep control over a number of sites, which are, you know, in different places geographically, you just have to have these systems. Like you just couldn't do it without it. So I think, as I said, I think the ones that really kind of move the dial are the stuff around ordering and you know, ultimately the things that define your coffee margin and your food margin and your beverage margin are, you know, how much are we spending on these things and, you know, what margin are we actually delivering these products at? Because it's very easy to look at, take the example of a smashed avocado. It's great. You look at it, you go, right, an avocado cost me £1.20 and a sourdough is this much per loaf, therefore it's this much per slice. This dish costs X. But in reality, what matters is, well, overall, how many avocados did I buy and how many portions of smashed avocado did I actually sell? What went in the floor? What was given away? What didn't go through the till properly? What was made wrong and therefore sent back to the kitchen and went in the bin? You know, it's controlling all those kind of things. So I think that whole piece is very important. And then, as I said, labor is just so important because, you know, it's very expensive. And if you've got 10 people in a store stood around while you're doing a few hundred pounds that hour in revenue, it doesn't make sense, right? You only need 10 people when you're doing thousand pounds that hour in revenue and you need to scale that up or down based on the demand. But you also need to do that in a way that works for people in terms of their shift patterns. You know, you can't you can't have someone come in for an hour and then go away for four hours and come back for another hour. That's just not how people work and that's not how the job market works. So managing that is very important. Wow. So controlling labor, controlling ordering. Yep. Probably the two essential yeah. components in yeah. in tech. What would you say are the keys to, you know, making technology a success across your business? What are the the key steps that an organisation needs to take? Because you can spend that money and it can be worthless. So, in actually getting it working, what are the key steps? Look, we've certainly had tech projects where we've signed off on something and it's actually never launched because along the way you've discovered things or 
the companies fail to actually do what they were supposed to do in the time frame they were supposed to do it, or turns out the product doesn't work, or turns out it doesn't actually integrate with this product, even though you said it needed to. So look, I think choosing the right products and, and choosing the right partners, because particularly in some of the more complex stuff we're talking about, you're not just buying the product, you're buying the team who supply you the product because they're going to have to customize it for you or help you integrate it with other things. You know, our till system has to talk to our ordering system, has to talk to our labor system. And if if they're not all talking and you've not got clean and accurate data, then it's, you know, it's almost worse than nothing because you're making decisions based on data, which is wrong. So, you know, you've got to have the right people internally to, to put these systems in place, you know, and you've got to have the right people in finance and ops to actually make this stuff work. And you've got to have the right partners in terms of the people that are supplying this software to help you actually integrate it and, and to make sure it works. So it's complex for sure. It takes it always takes longer and costs more than you think it's going to as well. But when you get it working, you can very quickly make the savings that justify it 10 times over if and when you get it right. You know, you know certainly when we finally got on top of these systems, like, you know, six years into the nine years we've had so far, probably it took us, in all honesty, you know, it did start to make a big difference. So six years in, when you kind of started to, how, how many stores did you have then? Probably six. And that was the moment the light came on and you got it all right? And yeah, eventually, after some trial and error and some full starts and some wasted time and some wasted money, yeah. What are some of the lessons that you've learned along the way? Where would you advise you know, our audience on some of the mistakes that you've made and try to avoid those? I would accept that you're not going to select the right piece of kit 10 times out of 10. Some of them are going to fail. They're probably going to take longer. And I kind of say this pretending that COVID doesn't exist. In the current world that we're in, this is slightly abstract conversation because no one is expanding and people are barely even open. But, you know, in an expansion scenario, in a normalized scenario, I would say just do it earlier and bite the bullet on the cost because you will become so much more efficient as you grow and as you add more sites, you'll just do it so much more efficiently. You know, I wish we'd, we, we were so focused on product and people and more sites and raise money and uh, the fun stuff, if you like, that actually, you know, taking the time to do the implementation on the ordering system and the labor system and the invoice system is not the most exciting thing in the world. But I wish we'd kind of stopped for six months a few years earlier and got all of this stuff right before we scaled. But, you know, it's easy with hindsight, well, right? Fascinating, fascinating learning there, I think. You know, agree or disagree, kind of with the moment. Imagine a world now we're in COVID and you didn't have those systems implemented. Well, better off or worse off? <laughs> oh, my, I mean, much worse off. I mean, so, so now we're just looking at it going, you know, how do we make the best of this situation? Which sites are working, which sites are not, which sites are going forwards, which sites are going backwards as the government shoots from the hip and changes direction on these rules every five minutes, which is my view of what they're doing. I think it's more important than ever because, you know, your headroom for error is lower than it's ever been because you're dealing with fewer people off a lower base of spend. So needing to optimize your purchasing, needing to optimize your menus, needing to make sure you get labor right for these reduced sales is more important than ever. So yeah, I mean, that tech is invaluable because as the person that has to make the decisions, you know, dealing with a very fast moving situation and basically stabbing in the dark going, should we open this store or not? And do we think we should open this store just Wednesday to Sunday or should we give Mondays and Tuesdays a go? And what about evening cocktails in London Bridge? And what about 
should we open the cocktail bar in Soho? You know, and you're trying to do that. And the only way you can form those decisions is by looking at data from your own business, data from other people's businesses, footfall data from Transport for London. What's the landlord telling you about footfall on the estate for someone like Covent Garden or Soho? So you know, you're just you're trying to form an opinion about can you trade successfully or not? And so, yeah, so certainly the, the more data, the better, right? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm curious on to the ordering side. You know, you, you mentioned that ordering is one of the absolute key technologies that you need to get right. I mean, did you see a, a reduction in your wastage? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we, we saw food margin grow significantly, which was the key purpose, really, because, you know, coffee and cocktail margins are inherently good. There's always room to grow them, but it's really challenging to deliver food at scale successfully when you're using high quality ingredients from decent suppliers. You know, you've got to, you've got to have controls on that stuff. So yeah, when, when we eventually got it right and, you, you know, that required onboarding all of the suppliers onto our platform. So our guys go shopping in each store, the head chef, you know, effectively they go shopping on a platform and they say everything they need delivered the next day and it fires that out automatically to all the suppliers. The suppliers receive that order through the same system and then they fulfill it to your store the next morning and then they bill you through the same system. So it kind of gives you gives you real control over that whole process. But, you know, when you're spending many tens of thousands of a week on suppliers, you know, this stuff becomes really important and having control over it can be the difference between a profitable store and, and not a profitable store. Is there any tech that you'd, you'd like to still <laughs> implement in your business? What are we going to expect from tech in hospitality moving forward? I think COVID has played a, a big part in accelerating tech. I mean, you know, personally scanning a QR code to get the menu on my phone, I think that sucks. I don't think anyone I don't think anyone's gonna miss that once that's gone. But I think it has definitely accelerated at table tech. So our mobile ordering and payment was always for takeaway coffee, but we're we're building that out now for at table ordering. We've had our staff using using mobile tablets at the table for a while anyway, but we're accelerating that now because of just because of the efficiency of the whole thing, really. I think the debate about efficiency versus experience is one that has been going for ages. I think COVID has changed it slightly, but I think that's kind of the next big thing to see how it pans out, you know, because the most efficient possible thing is you walk in, you sit down and your food and drinks are delivered instantly almost without you having to tell anyone, right? That's the most efficient thing, but it's not much of an experience. It's about the balance between experience and efficiency, I think. You know, and clearly in McDonald's, it's all about just in and out with the bag as quickly as possible. In a restaurant or a cafe, it's much more about the experience and how do you find the blend? But I think when you get the tech right, the tech is actually taking care of some of the heavy lifting and allowing the staff member to have more time to spend on the experience because they don't have to scramble off to the fixed till terminal to plug the order through. They've already done it while you said it. And therefore, once the order is in, they can kind of hang out for a second and say, you know, how's your day? How's it going? Is there anything else that I can get you? So the tech can be an enabler of improving the experience when it's used in the right way. The other side of that coin is Someone comes to your table and they don't even give you eye contact and they just stare at an iPad and click buttons and then walk away. And clearly that's, that's what you're trying to avoid. Enabling your staff to have more time to interact with customers, actually deliver an experience to customers. I think that's a really powerful point. Thank you for that. It reminds me back in my early days in cooking in French kitchens where 
you might have a soup ready and two customers out there in the dining room. You just walked in at, you know, 6.30 in the evening. And I remember the days where you kind of like, as a young chef, you just like, you want to get the order off the docket and you sort of like quickly, you know, the soup's hot. You could just put it straight into a bowl and, you know, but the uh, customer experience would have been, gee, that was quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And so you kind of like, I remember. Did, did that like, come out of the microwave? Waiting, so, oh, yeah. give it five minutes, you know, before we, <laughs> we serve those people. I mean, it's, it's it, true, yeah, right? it's about yeah. experience. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, using tech as an enabler. Are there any other examples you've got where the back of house technology can enable your staff to, you know, be more present with the customers? Anything you can do to make the lives and the jobs of your staff easier and better improves their mood, improves their levels of happiness, and ultimately improves the customer experience. So if you're a chef and you turn up and the kitchen is a mess and the right things haven't been ordered and there's new stuff on the menu, but no one's briefed you on what was supposed to be in it. So, you, you know, customers are ordering products you've never made before because they've just launched. You, you know, it's just a mess, right? And you're going to be in a bad mood and product's going to be bad and slow and that's going to stress the staff out and the waiters are going to be stressed out and the customers and no one's going to have fun. But, you know, if you come in and everything you need is there and has been ordered and you've got very, very clear guide on what each plate of food or what each cocktail should look like and you've got an iPad in front of you with the recipes and the steps on it and a picture of how it should be plated just in case you need it and the orders are coming through on a nice orderly way on a system that's going to the different stations you, you know that's an environment in which people are going to have fun and people are going to enjoy themselves and people are going to enjoy creating those products and be able to engage with the customers and the customers are going to get what they want fast and it's going to be hot and they're going to get it with a smile and, and everyone is winning, right? And so it's about creating an environment where that is possible. And listen, we do not get it right every single day. You know, this is all, we're talking theory here and stuff goes wrong and the systems break and the printers go down and this ingredient, you know, that's just the reality. That's the nature of the beast. But that's what you're trying to achieve. And you're trying to create an environment that is fun. Like no one works in hospitality for the money and no one works in hospitality because it's easy or because it's a cruisy job where you can sit back and coast. You know, it's hard work, it's long hours, but the pay isn't always amazing because of the nature of how difficult it is to make restaurants make lots of money, basically. But it can be fun and it can be really engaging and people can build a career and they can learn a lot of life skills. So it's about making it as fun and as happy a place as you can for the staff because, you know, if you look after the staff, the staff look after the customers. You look after the staff, the staff look after the customers. How do you get your staff to embrace this tech? Obviously, without the people using it, it's useless. So, yeah. We have a nice little anecdote about this, actually, which is true as well, unlike many anecdotes, which I think are often made up. This one is absolutely true. So when we first put in the till system that we use now, you know, I configured it myself. I think we had one store, so we were tiny. So I literally built the, you know, built the menus in the back end myself, and I discovered that it had this kind of drive-through style technology in it where you could basically get an iPad and instead of instead of the coffee orders coming out of a ticket printer where you know get you get a little piece of paper that says flat white on it it could go to the screen and this was you know very early days i reckon this was 2012 a year into what we were doing and i was like this is interesting let me try it and i, I literally got an iPad and rigged it up in parallel to the printer so the flat white for jeffrey was going both to the screen and to the printer. And, you know, I was doing this behind the counter almost on the laptop 
with my back to the customers as the staff were there serving. And anyway, I don't know, the phone rang or something happened and or I got bored and I walked away and I, and I walked out and I just left the iPad there. And I came back, and this is a 100% true story, I came back the next morning and the printer was on the floor with like this giant trail of uh, paper that obviously no one had looked at and touched. And the iPad was like propped up on top of the coffee machine with like rubber bands holding it in place. I didn't even tell the team at the time about this iPad thing. They had just basically seen it on the side, figured out what was going on and thought, this is cool, and just moved over to it. Like, And I'd imagined I was going to have to have this big thing where I had to sit everyone down and say, guys, we're not going to use the printer anymore. We're going to use the iPad. And I was expecting pushback and I was expecting, no, we like the tickets because we do this or because we put them under the carpool. And, and they just did it. They just moved over to it. So I think the answer is that when you get it right and when it's like nice and simple and it's well thought through, you don't have to try that hard to make people using it because it actually makes their life easier. And as soon as you're at the point where it's making their lives harder, you've kind of got it wrong. It should be about making their lives easier. So it's much easier to log on and do the ordering for the next day in one platform than it is to, you know, I remember when we started, I would hear the chefs on the phone leaving orders for the, the meat supplier or something on a voicemail. So they would call and they'd go, hi, it's, you know, John from Soho Grind. Can we have four bits of chicken and five bits? I was like, surely this is, come on, guys. It's like, it's 2013. We can't be doing this. So, you know, ultimately, if you can make their lives easier, you don't have much pushback. Yeah. Key to technology implementation in cafes, restaurants, make the staff's life easier. Yeah. yeah. And, and remember that not all of your staff might be English first language speakers, right? So they might be trying to do this in a, in a different language. And they might be, you know, they might not be the most computer literate people and they might not be great at spreadsheets. And you have to remember that when you're building this stuff. Like, you know, you have to build it for a broad audience with different levels of, you know, understanding of technology. So you have to keep it as simple as you can. What I'd just love to do is sort of get your final views on what makes a great hospitality business. You know, we've learned so much. You know, I realize now how little I knew at the start and almost think that's probably a good thing because I think if I knew everything now, then I would never have started at all because it would have just terrified the life out of me. Ultimately, I think to be a successful hospitality business, you have to be fulfilling a genuine need of some kind and you have to be doing it in some kind of way which is differentiated. So, you know, you can be differentiated in so many different ways. You can be the absolute best quality, but only in one location and very expensive, that works. Or you can be, you know, the absolute cheapest price and in loads of locations and very efficient, like someone like Greg's, for example. And there's a whole spectrum in between, right? You just, you have to find your place on that spectrum in terms of brand, price, product and vibe. And, and then you have to own that little part of, of the hospitality universe, I guess. And if you're trying to straddle all different parts of that spectrum, that's what's difficult. Like you can't be the best and the cheapest and, you know, you can't be all things to all men or all things to all women. You have to find your niche and then try and own it as best you can because, you know, people are, people have a lot of choice. Well, certainly they did pre-COVID anyway, <laughs> slightly less choice now. Um, people have a lot of choice and, you know, customer taste evolves constantly and expectations increase constantly and, it can be tough. So you have to really figure out what you're about. And, you know, we went off in a lot of different tangents before we really figured 
what we were about. You know, and at one point we had, you know, the ultimate, the peak, peak confusion at Grind, I think came about site number five when we uh, had truffle pasta on the menu for 30 something quid. And it was like, but it kind of took, it took going off in that direction and trying, trying to take one of the sites too far up market and too complex and too expensive to realize, no, hold on. People like coming here five times a week for really good stuff that's pretty simple and fast and well-priced and fun. Okay, now I realize what we're about. Let's tear up a lot of stuff we've been doing for the last six months. Let's, let's wind the clock back and let's roll that out. And you have to go through those journeys to figure out what you are about as a brand. Well, that's fantastic. Thanks so much to David Abramovich, CEO and founder of Grind. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. Wonderful. Thanks for being here. And that's all this week for Fifth Wave. If you have any feedback, we'd love to hear your thoughts at worldcoffeeportal.com slash fifth wave. This podcast was recorded at the one and only Serendipity Studios in glorious Camden, North London. It was produced by myself, Jeffrey Young, the World Coffee Portal team, James Harper of Filter Productions, and sound engineering by Chris Bristow. The theme music is Coffee Cold, written by Galt McDermott and interpreted by Matt Kent for the Coffee Music Project. Have a great week, and until next time, stay safe and stay caffeinated.